will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Hello and welcome to episode 442 of Fergo on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak. How are you going there, mate? Going very well, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Excellent. Um, What's yeah, it like being right. the number one stats man in Rugby League? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to try and get to that point. You are at that point. I'm calling um, it. You calling it? I'm calling it. Look, I'm trying. I'm trying to be humble. I'm not labelling myself that. You know. Well, if there's one thing that people have said is that I may be a little bit too humble, but I'm willing to say that Rugby League Project is the gold standard of statistics, and that's why the professionals, when they need Rugby League statistics, they go to Rugby League Project. They don't go elsewhere. These are facts. Spitting mm-hmm. facts, my friend. Spitting mm-hmm. facts. Um, so what's been going on? I heard well, there was some footy on the weekend. I now yes. work on weekends, so I don't get to see much of it. I've got to sit sit by and um, stay up till God knows what hours watching replays. And hope yeah, I well, look, there, there were some games on the weekend. Not much happened in them, though. Like, uh, pretty I heard much. that Roosters-Bunnies game was a bit of a uh, mundane affair. Oh, I fell asleep during it. So did half the players because they were getting hit in the head. But... Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, set us up for a really interesting week two of the finals, which we're going to preview for palmabet.com. And, yeah, it's uh, – man, it was a, such a good first round of games and looking forward to the second round of games. But we're going to talk a little bit of news first. Yeah, okay. We've got a bit of news out there. So the National Rugby League has issued uh, NRLW player – Caitlin Moran with the breach notice um, for comments that she made on social media after the Queen passed away. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that got my attention for this is that the Queen passed away and you see stuff on social media and a lot of it you just pass over because there's one thing that Twitter is really good at right now is showing you who thinks they're funny when they're not. <laughs> and so... I, I just posted it was sad news, you know, and a lot of people were very upset upset about it, and I understand that. Um, anyway, uh, this WNRL play, she posted something that was, you know, she she didn't care for the Queen, let's put it that way. Yeah. I wouldn't have known this had happened unless I had seen Channel 9 Media light up like a Christmas tree saying WNRL player posts something so vile that we will not say what it is, right? No. Can I ask? Yes. Because I didn't see what was said either. Was it more vile than glorifying and sexualizing underworld criminal behavior for profits? Not even close. Oh, okay. Not even close. Okay. So in Channel fact, Nine was Channel Nine was not at all being uh, over the top or uh, no, no, so hypocritical. No, of course not. <laughs> when would the media ever be hypocritical, Andrew? Um, I was I looked for these comments because I was like, they will post pretty much anything, you know? Mm. So how bad were these comments? So I'm searching for them. It took me two days to find them, okay. which, shows you, which shows you how big of a, a reach that it got, you know? Yeah. Um, When I saw them, I was like, you know, and, and I wouldn't have said what she said, 
about the Queen. You know, I've got no beef with the Queen, but obviously she did. But it wasn't like, it wasn't, I was expecting something unbelievable. I was expecting yeah. to read it and be like, holy shit, you know. But it wasn't like that. It was like, oh, that's a bit off, you know. Yeah, I think the only bit I heard of was she said something like good riddance. I was like. Yeah, and she, she called really? Yeah, yeah, no, a little bit more than that, but it, it was, you know, it was, you know, that's how she felt, okay, and whatever. It's she's double in, well, you know, she's WNRL player that put it on a post. She was talking about other stuff in the post too, like it wasn't she, just about. I mean, she's also Indigenous um, as well. I mean, how many Indigenous people generally love what the royal family's done for them? You know. Well, you got to put this shit into context. I guess the other thing is too. It's like if you're if you're not British or you don't feel a real connection to Britain, then you probably feel different about the Queen anyway. You know what I mean? Like I talked to people that were British uh, over the last few days, and they feel very different to how I feel. And I'm not saying I don't care. It's like. But it's sad. It was sad news. But they're really, really sad about it. Um, so people are going to react differently. And this was this this uh, young lady's reaction. Anyway, the thing that got me was just the reaction from Channel Nine Media, and basically made this out like she had said the worst thing you could possibly think of, which I yeah. couldn't even imagine what it was. That's why I went looking for it. I think the um, thing that I think the thing for I'm going to say I'm speaking for myself here, but my my own personal view is. I think people in Australia tend to not fully understand how they should feel emotionally about um, the Queen's passing because we don't have that real close link to England, uh, especially today. And so yeah. people in England, uh, you know, they live that. It's just always around them. Obviously, she lived there. Mm. Um, but because we're so distant away from it and they have zero impact on our lives really i think people are trying to do the respectful thing and saying oh it's really sad news and they're carrying on with the morning and talking about it an awful lot long mm-hmm. after it's happened i think normal people just go oh that's sad and mm. think about it for a little bit then you move on with your life yeah um some people i think are dragging on an awful lot the media especially mm-hmm. my god they've gone overkill on this um, and it's almost like you're not allowed to say anything slightly critical about the Queen and anything that her ancestors have done. Um, the only comment I've made about the royal family um, out of all of this was a tweet I made mocking the Victorian Liberal leader, Matthew Guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did he say? In Parliament uh, yesterday in Victoria... Uh, and trust me, I'm not being political here, okay? Um, he made a comment about, how, you know, talking about condolences to the Queen, stuff like that, and how she had one of the longest reigning monarchs, mm. and then said it was longer than some of the more well-known monarchs, like that of King Arthur. Um, <laughs> he doesn't know what a monarch means. He did say King Arthur. <laughs> King Arthur was... It wasn't real. No, it's fictional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this man has got a Bachelor of Arts in both politics... And history. No. Yes. No. Yes. That's all he's <laughs> in is politics and history, and he fucked both of them up. Wow. He then went and got the 
you know, the Hansard, which is the, you know, verbatim of what was said in, in Parliament, he went, then when got that completely changed so that he didn't look like an idiot. Really? Um, that's 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 creepy. not going to work. It's on videos everywhere. It's but, written down everywhere. But that's creepy that a politician can say, "I don't like what I said in Parliament. I want it changed on the record." Yeah, I know. That's creepy. Wow. But but yeah, it's it, look, it's interesting. I I thought it was it was sad news, you know. Um, oh, well, of course it's sad, but you know, at the end of the day, um, it's not going to have much of an impact on anyone here, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand where um, Caitlin Moran's coming from with her opposition, given the, uh, in her Indigenous heritage. Um, I understand why she doesn't have any positive emotions towards the royal family. Um, I just find it odd that the NRL has they've given her a suspended fine and mm. a one-game suspension, mm. which I just think is over the top. I wanted to say to her, you know what? Just delete the delete the comment, and we'll just move on, eh? Well, it said that the the suspended fine uh, it's wholly suspended, provided she fulfills a number of conditions, right? I like what's she Why? supposed to do? Like, Why? I, I, yeah, like I don't know. It's weird. She's allowed but... to have an opinion. She didn't say she wanted to kill someone or that people should be murdered. Like Israel Flower suggesting that, you know. Homosexual people should be rounded up and treated differently. She's just saying. Did he, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on a second, Andrew. Did Israel Folau say that, or did he just say they were going ahead? Right. He posted a picture of it without being on there. But even said, that, even that though, is worse than what she said. Like it, it, Israel Folau said that whole groups of people were going to hell, and if you couldn't find yourself on that list of people that were going to hell, then yeah, I, I don't know. You'd have to be a nun yeah. or something. I don't know. I would like, suggest though that that picture that he tweeted was no better or worse than what Moran said. I'd probably even say his is worse because he's actually wanting something bad to happen to a whole raft of people. Whereas Moran was basically saying good riddance to the Queen. Yeah, look, I I can see where they don't want representatives of the game. Like, of course, of course. You know, saying, they, what they don't want is they don't want the hassle. You know, that's what they really don't want. Um, and so they're trying to avoid that. I know, and I understand it's just, that. It's over the top for someone who only plays a maximum of seven games and gets paid so fucking little compared to an NRL player to be copying the sort of suspension that an NRL player would get. It's immensely compounded. It's way, way bigger for an NRLW player. And so mm. the punishment is way too severe. It's got to be... It's got to be done in proportion with what they earn and how many games they play. By giving her a, a one-game suspension, that's equivalent. And we've got to put this into perspective, given they've only got a seven-game season. That's equivalent to a four-game suspension, basically, for an NRL player for saying the same thing. Would yeah, that be right? They've, they've, said, they've said, though, with other suspensions, like for head-high tackles and stuff like that, this a same the same thing where you can't suspend an NRLW play for like six games because that's like say a season and a half or something ridiculous. But it's just look at it's the situation is what it is at the moment. So you can't like you can't give anything less than a one game suspension. But does, so it, does ga- but, but does it deserve a one game suspension is more my point. Look, I think no one would have known about this unless fucking Channel 9 Media blew it up. 
that's kind of the point. If the media hadn't made a circus out of it, made it worse than what it really is, because that's basically what they've done, mm. no one would know she'd still be playing, and what harm has she done? I, I think what it needed was the right situation would have been, because she's a, a Newcastle Knights player, the right situation would have been that somebody at the night said, look, Caitlin, it's probably best if you take that down. Um, it's not the appropriate time for this sort of thing, which, you know, when is the appropriate time? But it's it's as a representative of the Knights, we're just not comfortable with that sort of, message being put out by our players now if they'd done that that would have been fine yeah i just the thing that got me was the way that the media just launched into it like it was and they literally said it was so reprehensible it's about the worst thing that i've ever read and i was like what the hell and then i read it and i was like i was like where's the rest of it i was i was kind of shocked but it's an interesting situation um and, yeah, I just thought it would be interesting to talk on the podcast. And it, I think it's an interesting situation to talk on the podcast because it's you can have different reactions to it and you can think that different sorts of I, – I, I don't know if punishment's the right word, but whatever, like, actions from that are appropriate or not. But one thing I do feel is that the way that the media just lambasted her, I think that that was over the top. Oh, absolutely. Over the top. I think the problem we get out of this too is that we're pretty much getting a situation where the NRL is saying um, you either echo the sentiments that we, the NRL, have or you stay quiet. Mm. Um, and, yeah. I, it's dangerous I ground. I, 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 think you, I think you need to allow people to have a difference of opinion. Just... The the one thing I criticise her for is not being respectful enough with the way she expressed that. Um, how do you express the fact that you don't care about someone passing? I don't know. Maybe just say nothing. But well, yeah. I think the worst the worst thing she should have been told to do was just remove the post. That was I, it. And I, look, I've said this before on social media because I've seen people on social media that feel as though they have to care about everything and you don't like it's i've said before it's okay to not care about a situation that's totally fine because if you care about everything eventually you're going to break yourself down as a person like if somebody passes or and i i go back to um there was a supreme court judge in the united states passed away a couple of years ago and I saw some people in my, my timeline at the time say how devastated they were about it. And I just I, I worried about those people because I was like, you know, you don't have to you don't have to care about everything so deeply. It's okay to say that's sad for that person and move on or say that's sad for you know, whatever country or whatever and move on. You don't mm. have to feel as though you need to be wounded by everything because you see wounded people over something. That's yeah. all right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I guess this is one of those situations. And I think that it's it's brought up because we are an Australian, as you say, where we're separate from 
the United Kingdom and how they feel about it. And I think that it's, you know, it's all right to say, man, that that's really sad. And see that when you see the royal family, you know, and they're walking behind their coffin of their, you know, their mum, it's like, yeah, that's a sad situation for them. It, it really is. Um, but at the same time, you can also feel empathy for people that do feel that sadness. That, as I said, I've got lots of um, British people that I talked to over the last number of days. I had people that had contacted me out of the blue and said, oh, how about the Queen passing away? And they, I just knew that how sad they were about it. Um, and, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like it's okay to feel an appropriate level of sadness about something or joy or anger. Like you don't have to be angry about everything either. No, that's right. Apart from when they don't give you bags at the shopping centre, you can be furious about yeah. that. What's the deal? You've got to constantly ask all the time now. I know. So like I just purchased something. What now you want me to buy a bag as well? They they're essentially assuming that you're going to take the bag, use it, and then when you're done with it, you're gonna go down to the beach and then stuff it into a whale's blowhole. And yeah. so in order to justify that and make that fair, then you need to pay fifty cents. We we're supposed 50 to worry cents about... to murder a whale. We're supposed to worry about some dumb idiot dolphin that's gonna think it's a fucking jellyfish and eat it. It's like, hello, have you ever heard of natural selection? Dumb fuck dolphins. Yeah, I'm sick of it. Learn how to breathe through plastic. Exactly. Oh, if only you had some way to breathe through a different part of your body. <laughs> well, Dumb fucks. Um, have you ever been to? You ever been to KFC and they start handing you fucking individual items out the window, and you're like. <laughs> Dude, give me a bag. Yeah. Put the shit in the bag. It's like, what, you want me to get, fucking balance the potato and gravy on my fucking hip while I'm driving? Yeah. It just, it's like you're holding, like, handfuls of Lego. Like, just put the shit in a box, will you? Yeah, yeah. You know I what? I asked for a boxed meal, not a, not just 17 different fucking items handed to me at a window. Exactly. Exactly. With some prick behind me beeping the fucking horn. Where you hurry up and go, I can't hurry. I've only got two hands and 37 fucking things to hold. What are you going to hand out fucking 24 individual nuggets? You put it in a box and you put that box in a fucking bag with all the other shit I'm going to eat. It's made of cardboard. Yeah, there's fucking trees everywhere. We'll plant oh, some more. And seriously, trees. Overrated. <laughs> oh, man. If trees were so good, why wouldn't we all plant trees in our houses? Uh, they, don't really, they don't really grow too well on tiles and carpet. Oh, they're fucking dirty. They need dirt to live in. You know, oh, I need the sunshine. It's like, I don't need sunshine. We're probably learning more about the cleanliness of your house compared to mine. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. Briggy's just got a pile of dirt in the corner, just in case he needs it. <laughs> you can't be too careful. Oh, another intern's popped off, just covering with a bit of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, uh, there was another interesting thing that happened in rugby league recently is that the rugby league players were given a, a what they called it was like a performance bonus. It wasn't so much for them, but it was for the game's finances, um, and they were reimbursed um, under the collective bargaining agreement because the game had made a certain amount of money over the last financial year. Now, the rugby league player agents association saw that and said, "Hang on a second, some of that money should be ours," and the rugby league players association said. Not really. And so there's a little bit of a um, 
not a blow up, but a disagreement between those two organisations, which I always side with the players. And hopefully the players individually go to their player agents and say, if you think you deserve 6.5% of this bonus money that I'm getting, you won't be my player agent the next time I do a deal. I thought the I thought the agents got money off the top when the agreement was signed, not a constantly, you know, they're not being paid every year for what they do. I thought they got it just skimmed off the top. So if there's a bonus that's played to the players, stiff shit agent, you don't get that. I would just guess, and I don't know this, but I would just guess the player agents find it very easy to put clauses into their contract with players that ends up with them getting boned. Like if you get a bonus, I get 6.5 of that as well. You know, if you, if you get this, I get, and this is one of those instances where they've looked at it and said, oh, I should be getting 6.5 of that as well. You know, I mean, um, if, the, if the player agents were a bit more, uh, I'm going to say it. If they're a bit more open and honest and clear about what they're fucking doing, they wouldn't need to hide their whole actions and how they go about what they do all the time. Fuck them. Yeah, I, look, I get it. I, and I agree. How I, come we've got media sitting there saying, players, we should know what all the players' salaries are, but none of them in the media saying we should all be told exactly what the player agents do and how they get their money and how that all works? Because a lot of them in the media have their own agents, and in some exactly cases right. they would have the same organisations, and they, you know... If you there's someone who's taking money for doing next to fucking nothing off the back of a player who's putting their body on the line for their fucking job, I want to know what that person's doing to earn that money. I don't care what the player gets. Mm. player deserves whatever they get. I don't even care if it's someone like Luke Brooks who's earning fucking $1.3 million a year. Boo-hoo to the West Tigers for being too stupid to pay him too much money if he's not good enough for it. But thumbs up to Luke Brooks. If you can get a million dollars a year, you fucking go for it, son. Did you see they want to extend his contract? I'm not surprised. Yeah. I heard, too, that um, there was some B-grade website suggesting, too, that Nofaluma is really keen on staying in Melbourne and really likes it down here. And I was like, see, I knew he's stupid. <laughs> yeah, should, like, the, uh, the West Tigers might be, might be looking at a uh, situation where they may lose him. I was like, well... It's always good to start a season on the right foot. Yeah, well, look, when watching him play for the Storm, it was really clear that he's a... When you put him in an elite side, he looks like the winger that comes in from reserve grade. Yeah. You know. Um, he's so good that even... He actually went to the Melbourne Storm and still has yet to win a finals game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. I, uh, I, just, I can't imagine that the Storm looked at his performance and said, we would rather commit to this performance or we could just get another Fijian. And all the wingers should be Fijian. Yeah, we've made that abundantly clear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, yeah it's, uh, I don't mind if the West Tigers lose anybody, yeah. really. That Well, that and that's where you get to. When you've had a – when you – have had a season like they have had, everyone should be available to leave, especially if they don't want to be there. It's like, thank you. But you know what the West Tigers are like. They'll probably try and lure him back with a better deal. It's longer, <laughs> longer years. <laughs> it's long enough. I think he's got four years left on this one. Are you fucking serious? 
I'll check, man. I'll check. I'm pretty sure he's got a long, he's got a very That's long deal with the West Tigers. That's insane. Like, he really was. I, I mean, he, it wasn't, he would get into space and he wasn't that fast. No. And he's not that good in defense, putting it mildly. And it, it's just, you know, under the high ball, he's, you don't, he's not a player you consider. And that's, I don't know. There's just so many things I was watching him with the storm and I was like, yeah, it's, I, I don't think that, I think that they will do the polite thing and say, thank you so much, David. Have a good rest of your career at the West. Oh, yeah, he's, so the Tigers have got three, four, four players signed up until 2025 now. Mm-hmm. Nofaluma, Naden, Offa um, Isaiah Papali'i, if he does come. Mm-hmm. And Stefano Utukamanu has an option in his favour, I believe, for the 2025 season. Okay. That's so, it. It's a weird bunch of players to have signed that. I, I wonder if you lined that up. Well, two two wingers. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, long-term deals out of four. Yeah. Like, you lined that up with, say, the plays the Penrith has lined up past that point. And, I, like, I'm guessing it's Cleary, because they re-signed a bunch of players recently, as you would expect. <laughs> so, Cleary, I'm guessing Fisher-Harris, um, Dylan Edwards. Yeah, so 2025, you've got Cleary, Fisher-Harris, um, and Targo. That makes sense. He's a young that's dude. The, He's, they probably got him on a good deal. But that, that's the only place they've got signed for there 2025. You there you go. <laughs> a prop, a halfback, and a young outside back. Mate, they're doing it wrong. You've got to lock the wingers in. The wingers. It's all about the wingers. You can't score tries without wingers. Whereas <laughs> the Tigers will tell you, you can't score tries with them either. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it an interesting, uh, I, I guess an interesting industry is a way to put it, where the direct performance of your organisation is, it, it, it is based upon what your talent does. And long-term, the best club in the game they can only say we've got three players that are locked in till 2025. And like all of the rest of their players could literally leave. And it like, that's it. The success is fleeting, (laughs) I guess is what it shows. Yeah. You want to obviously lock down those who, you know, are deserving of it, Mm. but you need to keep your options open. You don't want, you don't have too many players in your side on long-term deals because that invariably leads to, People getting comfortable, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. can't have that in this industry. No, no, you can't. And I like you see that in a lot of sports. You see that a lot in the NBA, where a player will have a huge career, a huge career year going into signing their contract. They sign a contract, and then they just they do nothing really. Like Julius Randle at the New York Knicks, uh, he did it uh, the year before last. Got a big contract. And then this year was not only poor on the court, but was a, a really distate. Uh, he, he was he was arguing with players on the court and stuff like that. It was like, what the fuck is going on? Like he basically did a one eighty. Mm. I was like, dude, you're a problem all of a sudden because you got your money. Like what the fuck? Yeah, I suppose for a lot of those guys too, you only need one contract. You are set for life comfortably. Yeah, 
yeah, that's true. It doesn't even have to be a long contract. Two, three years on a, a pretty low sort of contract deal. There's several million dollars straight away. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's probably all some of them want. Yeah, and I get that. I totally get that. Now, right. Interestingly, when you look at the Cowboys, mm-hmm. um, they've got a bunch of players that are signed beyond uh, to 2025 and beyond. Okay, who are they? Well, Valentine Holmes, uh, Luciano Lolua, Ruben Cotter. That all makes sense. And then uh, Tuolangi just signed a deal to 2026. Mm-hmm. Tomalolo to 2027 still. Mm-hmm. Scott Drinkwater's also signed till 2027. Oh, wow. That just sort of threw me a bit when I saw that one. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. So, um, His manager deserves 6.5%. <laughs> he should be on about 20%. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a fair whack, that one. Mm. But there you go. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the Tigers do need a massive broom through the whole organisation. I can't see it happening, but they need it. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between what happened with a team like, say, the Cowboys. Like, there are some teams that, like, put it this way, the Gold Coast Titans don't need a massive broom put through the place. They need fixed up, right? Um, The current Bulldogs don't need a massive broom put through the place. They need additions and and better coaching. Yeah. The West Tigers need a massive broom put through the place. I'd almost suggest what they need instead of a broom is probably a bulldozer. (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, you could just replace everyone. And and that's the thing. You know, the cool thing is we're going to see that with the Dolphins where you start from scratch with no one and then see how that lines up against the the West Tigers next year. That'll be better. I think they will be too. Yeah. No concerns. (laughs) Should we uh, get into our Palmer Bet preview, palmerbet.com preview? Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's dive right on in. We've only got two games, so, you know, it won't take very long. Now, we have been sponsored by Palmer Bet the entire 2022 season. We love Palmer Bet. If you want to do gambling on rugby league or sport in general, go to palmerbet.com. Support the people that support your favourite podcast. uh, And always remember, gamble responsibly. Always. And so we kick off on, is it Friday? Friday night. Friday night. Parramatta versus Canberra. Yes. Now, the Parramatta Eels are favourites in this game on palmerbet.com. They're at $1.55 in the head-to-head. The Canberra Raiders are at Siders at $2.50. The Canberra Raiders have a six-and-a-half-point head start at $1.90. And with the six-and-a-half-point handicap, the Parramatta Eels are also $1.90. I tell you what, the Eels have to turn up for this one. Well, at the moment, I think there's still going to be a bit of um, uncertainty over Mitch Moses because he copped a pretty nasty uh, concussion. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think when, for Mitch in particular, when he cops a head heavy knock like that, it does make him a bit tentative to run the ball when he comes back. Yeah. And that's not wholly unreasonable. A lot, of, a lot of the smaller guys are going to be like that. Um, so I think with him being probably a little bit more pedestrian in attack, he's going to be kicking to the wingers an awful lot more. Probably not a bad team to be doing it against. He's got two very good wingers to kick to here, whereas the uh, Raiders, 
Their their wingers aren't too bad under the high ball, but I wouldn't say that they're um, out of this world absolutely brilliant either. Mm-hmm. So it's it's probably not going to be too bad. Um, the Raiders have Adam Elliott out with a hip injury. However, I think the changes that Stewart's made has actually made them stronger because Harry Weir now is going to start at lock. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Sutton has always been pretty solid. He's going to be on the bench. And he can cover um, front row and back row. Um, I I don't know. I think that's that's an improvement to their side a little bit. Yeah. So, man, Parramatta, Parramatta should win. Um, I think Canberra are watching them play last week. I think they like the fact that it's um, do or die every week they play. And I think that they might put it to Parramatta here. Yeah, the th- the thing that gets me about this is because Moses was switched off, and I would be look. I'm sh- I'll be shocked if he plays, but I will also be shocked if he doesn't play. <laughs> and I, you know, it's because he's going to say, "I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine." The club, and I'm not saying anyone's doing anything wrong, but the club's got an incentive for him to run out in the field. Mm. If everybody in that whole situation is saying yes, there's going to be a yes, and he's going to play. Um, whether he should play or not, I, I, I mean, I think it's obvious that if you get blasted and switched off for a, a little while like he was, um, you probably shouldn't play the following game. Especially when it's finals match and it's do or die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and these Raiders side... They will be rushing like they didn't against the Storm. They'll be rushing up in defence an awful lot. He's going to get targeted hard. I yeah, mean, they're going the to guys in the middle too. is going to be chasing him. Tapani and Papali. I mean, fucking hell. Well, they're the ones. They, they're the two that stand out for me when I think about this clash. I just think those two are going to just blast holes at that at that Paramatic Eels pack. And if yeah. they just play like they did last week, Parramatta is going to find it really difficult to contain the Raiders. I like the Raiders' uh, hooker rotation on the back of those two. Yeah, Wilford's um, been really good too this year, uh, young fella. Um, also, I think, I don't know how you go about it. I'd, I'd like to see Nathan Brown in the Eels side. I just think they need a bit of that mongrel in there against this Raiders side who will be running hard mm-hmm. um, and with a bit of aggression about him. I think players like... Madison and Lane, they're not bad players, but I think you just need a bit of that, you know, fucking prick about you when you're playing against the Raiders side that are running hard like this, just to muscle up to them and sort of let them know that you're not going to take shit. Yeah, when you look at the Parramatta Eels pack, I feel as though uh, Junior Paulo doesn't mind that sort of thing. Like, he doesn't shirk. You know, his responsibilities. But I feel like there's a lot of other players in that pack that if you're hitting hard, they don't go with you. And I think you saw that last weekend. Um, It will be an interesting uh, game here to watch. I think um, Parramatta will be smart to uh, target the edges of the ruck here. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, uh, have have kicking to the corners from Moses as uh, as a plan B. Uh, and Parramatta would be doing well to try and, I don't know, man, go through the middle as much as possible, but I, I'm not too sure how how they'll go with it. They just have to 
I just need Campbell Gillard needs to pull his finger out, and Paulo just needs to be smashing it up the guts all game long. And how about this? If you're going to call yourself King Gutho, how about you fucking do something? How about you stop fucking passing to your wingers every single time? How about you run the fucking ball? How about you stand up in a game that actually means something? How about instead of running into the crowd when it's round six, you fucking do something in the finals? How about that? That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. Um, we'll see how they go. Paramount's record against teams ranked lower than them in the finals is pretty solid, though. So, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like a Parramatta stat, doesn't it? It very much is. Yeah. Oh, we beat the teams that aren't as good as us, but when it comes up to teams that are as good or better, we don't win shit. Yeah. In matches that matter. Yeah. 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 Um, Let's have a fucking I'm... celebration because we won in round nineteen or whatever. <laughs> it's like fuck off. I'm going to go with Canberra. I'm going with Canberra as well. I think, I think though, if they do win, this will be their last win of the final series. I agree. I agree. But I think they can do this one. I think that uh, I feel as though the Eels will be a little bit shattered by last week's result. I think that, as you say, Moses will be in his shell a little bit. And when you add that to the other playmakers and, and, and supposed stars in this Parramatta team that are in their shell whenever a game really fucking matters... I think that the Raiders have a great opportunity here. So, and I think that the kicking game of uh, the Raiders halfback, what's his name? Bogarty. Yeah, he. I think that he'll just add that little bit of craftiness. That he's, uh, he's so underrated, man. Yeah, yeah. And you saw that in the last week's game. No one was talking about him, and he <laughs> he just every so often he just put a really nice kick in that they needed. I think he'll do that in this game too. He's um, a real general. Yeah. Not flashy, really just real general. Steers the team around really well. Has a good, reliable kicking game. Good passing game too, left and right. Just rock solid. That's what you want from him. I can't believe the Titans let him go, man. That's stupid. I get the Titans. I, the Titans were looking towards the future, you know? Yeah. I get it. I get it. But anyway, so we're both going Canberra Raiders here. Yeah, I'm going Canberra. I reckon they'll probably win by, I'm going with an eight-point win. Oh, wow. So you would have them, uh, well, they have the head start, so... There you go. Yeah. Um, okay, so the second game. Second game on Saturday at yes. 8 p.m. The Sharks take on South. So this game, I think there's been a little bit of movement in the price on this one. So on palmerbet.com, the Cronulla Sharks are outsiders at $1.95 compared to the Sassany Rabbitohs who are at $1.85. The Cronulla Sharks have a one-and-a-half-point head start at $1.90. With the one and a half point handicap, South are also at one dollar ninety. The only player they lost was Thomas Burgess, but he is a loss, you know. And I worry about losing a front rower against the Sharks pack, who is a very solid forward pack. But damn, the bunnies just went through a war. The the Sharks they went for ninety plus minutes, and yeah. I th- when it, I just think that. There's something about the Brabados in this game that I like better. And they're playing at home at Allianz Stadium too. This is an interesting game because both teams have come off quite challenging but vastly different performances. So the Sharks and Cowboys game was both teams who are very good defenders throwing every trick in the book at one another. Mm. It was a high-scoring game, but it doesn't mean that the defences were bad. They, they scored some very... 
well-crafted tries on both sides, not just one-off plays. Like They had to go back and, and sound out defences and figure out what was going to work and what wasn't before they executed what they needed to. And um, Both teams were trading blows like that all game so well. It was such an entertaining con- uh, contest, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sharks did not play bad at all. So I don't see them as being in poorer form. Rabbitohs, though, they went through a, a physical war. <laughs> and... I do wonder with, I think the Sharks play a faster, more up-tempo game than what the Bunnies do. And mm-hmm. I wonder if the Sharks are going to be much slower after having played for 90-odd minutes. And if they are, whether the Bunnies are too damaged after their war last week to be able to handle it anyway. So um, the other thing too is, the, the Sharks do have a pretty big forward pack. And with Burgess being dropped, and they brought on Michael Cheekham, who's a, uh, a back rower slash center. Mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe their bench is a bit light because they've got Nick Arima on the bench as well now. Um, so they don't they don't have three props on the bench. Mm. Got Havili, who can play, you know, front row, back row, a little bit of hooker if need be, and, and Stella, who's a front rower. And Nick Arima and G-Cam. Um, you look at the Sharks and they've got Fafita, Hamlin, Ueli, and Tig Wilson. <laughs> yeah, that's a good bunch of giants. Fucking hell. And then they've got Toby Rudolph, Royce Hunt on the field as well. Like They've got some big units all plugging the middle of the field there. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's it's almost like the, the Sharks have named the perfect team to go up against Stouts, given the way Stouts play at the moment, which is so so heavily through the middle. Um, we'll be interesting to see how the fastest hooker in the comp, Damian Cook, goes against the um, top tackler in the competition for a hooker. Actually, for the whole game too, is Blake Braley. He made the most tackles this year of any mm-hmm. all players. So that'll be interesting. And yeah, just all those big bodies in the middle. Um, I think I think the Sharks have named the perfect team to combat the Bunnies' big forward pack and their hard running pack. Just do a battle now to see how the halves and the outside backs go against one another. And so I, I give I give the edge to the Sharks in that area, but I think this will be another very close game. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be surprised if this goes to Golden Point again. Man, that would be crazy, hey? Yeah. Um, the winner of this match goes through to play the Panthers. Yep. Um you wouldn't want to play back-to-back golden point games if you were the Sharks. No. Um, you wouldn't want to play a golden point game leading into that game. Well, let's, be honest. Super fresh. let's be honest. If you're the Panthers, though, do you see either of these sides being in the in a state capable of being able to beat you next week? Given I, what they've gone through in week one, and now they've got to play again this week as well. Yeah. Look, I. it's funny. I was thinking about this on the – Yesterday, um, I, I feel like a douchebag sometimes when I talk about the Panthers on this podcast because I feel as though we're it's we're seeing a bloody good team that the Panthers have put together and they're doing some extraordinary things. But I and I try not to talk about them in a biased way. But I like it's like when you say things like they're the favourites, you sound biased as it is, right? So let me preference that. I don't, 
I'm not that worried about the Sharks. I feel as though the Sharks are a year away from being where they really want to be, and I feel as though the Panthers can just absorb anything they do in attack. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bunnies have a bit more of an X factor, and I think the fact that they played in last year's grand final and there's that revenge factor will be there. And if the Bunnies make it to the Panthers, they will have been through a bloody gauntlet the last you know few weeks. Um, even even that last round game against the the Rabbitohs, full house last week, full house. This is almost going to be a full house. Um, and then they'll be playing at, at Homebush Stadium against the Panthers, which is their traditional home ground for the last number of years. So the Rabbitohs worry me than the, more than the Sharks. And Latrell Mitchell worries me flat out, full stop. I don't, I don't know anyone can stop him when he's on form. Um so yeah, that that's how I feel about it. What do you feel about it? Um, I think the Sharks will win this, and I think that they will lose to Penrith, but they will push Penrith probably until about the seventieth minute. Yeah. Um, Penrith, I, I can't see a team beating Penrith, and I don't think Penrith's going to go all out. Um, they they're going to do the the amount they need to do to get the win in week three to try and keep something in the tank for that last game. Can, can I ask you a question? Because when I look at the Panthers, uh, I, as I said, I don't want to sound biased, so I'll ask you the question. Have you ever seen a team not only defend like Penrith, but hit like Penrith as long as they do in a match? No, their, their defensive structure is um, rather unique. I've, I've mentioned it before, the defending in pairs thing. Mm. I, I saw a little bits of it when the Sharks in 2016, when they were getting into the finals, they were doing it around then, and it was really effective then, but they didn't do it for much during the season. Mm. Um or after that, it was really unique. They did it in the finals, and it worked really well for them. Um, but I can't recall too many teams that have, have done it consistently and consistently well, and for it to not have not have really um, been exploited or, or, or had teams try to exploit it too much. Um, Parramatta's had success against it. But it looks like every time they have success against it, it comes in a slightly different way. So it's not like they're using the same method every time to beat them. Mm. So that's what makes their defense really unique. Um, and it's it's different to everybody else's defense. It somehow works in a way that's really unique that on paper you look at it and you think, maybe it shouldn't. Like if you're defending in pairs, surely there's going to be gaps somewhere. Mm. But they peel off tackles so quickly when they realize that the dominant players affected the tackle. They don't peel off and go all the way back to the line. They peel back to like a second marker sort of position while the tackle's still going, just in case they're needed in the tackle. But it means they're halfway back towards being in the line anyway. It's really unique. Um, I'll probably find that, especially in starts of games, they'll stick in pairs for the majority of the first half just to make mm. sure that they suffocate the opposition. Um, but no, they are a unique side. And yeah, the, the hits... Uh, very strong as well. And you've got a lot of rangy players in there. They don't. They're not relying on the big solid bodies like your uh, 
Junior Paulos, Andrew Vafidas, Royce Hunts. They don't, they don't relying on those figures. You know, they're relying on James Fisher Harris and a bunch of guys who are built like, um, you know, I said, yo, you know, just really rangy looking sort of guys, but they run really hard. Mm. Um, it just proves the point. It doesn't really matter what your body size is. If you put your body on the line and you run hard, you know, you're going to, you're gonna make a uh, you're gonna make a mess of a defensive side eventually. Yeah, and it makes me think about whether this is a collection of and forwards more in, in particular we're talking about here. If it's a collection of forwards that they have just all come together at the right time and the right place under the right system, or can you teach a forward pack to do this? And can you teach forwards to do this? Because there are plays in this Panthers side that like they don't get affected by the the massive contact over and over again. They just keep coming, you know. Um, like Fisher Harris, he, he, you know, you hit him as hard as you want. It doesn't really matter. Well, the thing is, okay, and this is more of what goes on in the modern game. And I'm talking about, you know, post the NRL started in the '90s. We used to see the occasional Ford would come, like Wade Graham, just fly up out of the line and smash someone. Yeah. It's very rare that it happens these days. A lot of defensive structures are designed so that you you come forward about two or three metres. So the opposition is going to make around about seven metres per run. That's kind of what they, they look at there. Mm. And so they, they run up, they get to about, they make about three metres up in the defensive line, and then they stop. And they wait for the, the attacker to run at them. And nearly every single team does this. Mm. And the problem is you're looking at it purely from a point of physics at this stage, okay? If you're standing still and someone who's even 65 kilos and you might weigh 90 kilos, if someone at 65 kilos is running at you at full tilt mm. and you're stationary, the chances of them running through you are a lot higher than you putting them, making them go backwards on their ass. Mm. So I think Penrith have just gone, you know what, if, they, if the defense is going to come up and stop, that's a sign for us to keep running as hard as possible. Don't try and turn your body. Don't try and brace for the impact. Don't try and stop pushing with your leg drive. Once you've made that contact, that's when you've got to push harder. And you find a lot of their, um, a lot of players on the edge of the ruck are really, really good at running that slightly different angled run. So they're not trying to run into other players' sternums. They're running at shoulders. Mm. Because <clears throat> if you're stationary, Trying to affect a big hit that's legal with your shoulder is very hard nowadays. In the past, with Sonny Williams, you stand there and just drop the shoulder and destroy humans with it, but you can't do that now. <coughs> Excuse me. So the shoulder's gone from being a strong attacking weapon for a stationary player to a weak one. And Penrith have been really good at exploiting that. Yeah, and and I, you know, the way to attack this Panthers team is to get the offloads. But when they're doing that gang tackling that they do, it's almost impossible to get an offload away. And we saw that last weekend against the Eels. Um, I, you know, and I wonder where the breakdown is going to come against this Panthers side. I wonder if you go to the line and engage them and then work off the back of you've engaged this part of the line, but that they haven't got to you yet, but you've engaged them to come forward, keep coming forward and then work around that engagement area. Um, I I wonder if that's where a team like Souths can have some 
some impact against the Panthers where you get someone like a game, Damian Cook coming out of dummy half, get him to engage the line. And then, yeah, and this, but they're so disciplined. Like, that's the crazy yeah. thing about them. They're so disciplined yeah. either side of that. You've got to have um, of, and just hope for the best, you know, hope for you find something. I think the, the best way to get through Penrith is second hand, uh, second phase play and fuck tons of it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the only way to break up the gang tackling in the pairs and you get them more having to start doing one on one tackles. Mm. And not saying they're weak defenders, but you're more of a chance of getting through as a ball runner, one defender, than trying to get through two every time. Mm-hmm. So the best way to do it is to have lots of second phase play and lots of different unique players getting the ball from offload. So don't just have it as because I think with South what you'd have is um a front row is going to offload to another forward. And so mm-hmm. it's just going to keep sort of being second phase play, but running through the middle or in the one sort of narrow corridor. And Cronulla's would be a bit more about getting the ball out and then swinging it wide. And so you're going to the far edges. You kind of need to get something that does both. Yeah. Um, so it, that's hard to find. Parramatta's, I think that's probably a reason why Parramatta works pretty well is that they've got the the big bodies in the middle plus the the good line runners just on the edges as well. So when they do get that offload away, they've got options on both sides. They can kind of do a little bit of both. Mm. Um, but I don't think anything's really exploited it that much or done it that much enough for anyone to have gone, hang on, I think this might be a way through. And because because it hasn't been really challenged, they haven't really been challenged with it too much. Um, no one's willing to give it a crack just in case it backfires and they get 60 put on. Yeah. And, <laughs> so and, and sort of everyone's waiting for somebody else to have a crack at it. Yeah, just to, like, I can't remember, I can't remember when it was, but there was a Warriors game and I think it was against the Storm where they went into the game and they were like, we are going to offload every single time. And it worked. Um, I think and, that was one of the Anzac Day games. Yeah, feel, yeah it might have been, hey, because it, 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 was, it was so obvious that they, that was their game plan where they said, look, we're, if we go in and try and play percentages, Melbourne's going to beat us. Yeah. So let's do the opposite and just every single time look for the offload. And it really is because if, if those offloads don't stick or if you just lose the ball in the tackle or whatever, you as you say, you're getting thrashed. But if they stick, it it's the only way to break down a really disciplined defensive side. And the Storm, uh, probably about four years ago, were were one of the better defensive teams like this Panthers team. I don't think they were as good, but they were in that region. And yeah. then, as I said on, I think it was the last podcast, I said how you and me felt like until this Panthers team, the best defensive side we'd seen was that Manly side in the mid-90s. Um it's uh so okay so here's another question for you of the teams that are left is there anybody that you rate uh, and you take the panthers and let's just say who's going to challenge the panthers of the teams that are left is there anybody left that you say that's the team they've really got a panthers will have a real problem with them or is it more a case of these the rest of the teams or these two teams or three teams or whoever have to play the game of their lives to beat Penrith? Um, I think only Parramatta, and not so much because of what Parramatta does, but because Penrith have struggled with them 
for the last two years. And so that could just play a bit of mental head games with the Panthers a little bit. You know um, what, though? It's only been this year. Like, they, they, they owned them last year. Yeah, it's recent enough. It's yeah, just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're sometimes saying. Sometimes it's just just the mental hand games. That's, that's pretty much the only way I see Penrith losing is if they have a some sort of mental conniption and they fuck up that way. There's mm. there's nothing in the way they play the game physically that I can see any of the remaining teams threatening them. I think the only two teams that had the the uh, the players with the skill set and the style that were going to be a threat to the Panthers in the finals were Melbourne and the Roosters, and they both got knocked out in week one. That's interesting. Say, I never rated the Roosters. That's I, I know you didn't, but yeah. um, just the unique body sizes they've got everywhere. Mm-hmm. The fact that both their halves could play on either side of the field. They did have good combinations around the place. Tedesco would just pop up more often than not in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and not a selfish ball player either. So his first thing when he's when he gets the ball and he's finding a little bit of space is he's looking for support. Um, just little things like that. I know it doesn't seem like much, but it's just little things like that is enough to break up the Panthers' really disciplined defensive structure just enough yeah. to create an opportunity. And I find that the Storm and the Roosters are probably the two best teams at taking advantage of minimal opportunities as much as possible, um, you know, turning them into points. Yeah. I think I find most of the other teams, if they get as many opportunities, they wouldn't score as many points as those two sides. And that's why I figured that they, those two were the ones that were the biggest threat to, to the Panthers this year. Um, but with what's left, I think every team at their absolute best is what's left. Um no, actually, I don't think Canberra's capable of beating Penrith. No. Par- Parramatta, Cronulla, and the and the Rabbitohs, at their absolute best, I think they could. Mm-hmm. They've all got something very unique about them that would be enough to get the uh, a, a win over the Panthers, but it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be an easy win. It wouldn't be a comfortable win. It would be something that they'd still have to bust their asses for the full eighty minutes to get. Um. And do they? Do you feel as though they would also need the Panthers to be off a bit? Um, like, do you think that if it's a Panthers playing good, these other teams are playing good, that they can still beat the Panthers? Maybe I think. I think the thing that at the moment, the only, you know, for the lack of a much better word, the only weakness, if there is one, with the Panthers, is size in the forwards. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they're small, but the you look at the Sharks, the Rabbitohs especially, they've got some massive humans in their forward packs and they've got them on the bench as well. So they can keep rotating them and keep them, you know, keep that intensity there. Um, that could be the only way through, I guess. If you've got those big humans who can offload as well, which mm-hmm. both the Sharks and the Rabbitohs have, um, that would be probably the only way you could get through. But in saying that, I think most teams with big packs have had a fair crack at that quite a few times over a few years. And look how many of them have won games. Mm. Fuck all of them. Um, but that's going to be the you, – you've got to be at your absolute peak of your game there. And that's the only way through. Because you're not going to get a, a, a shit game from Cleary. 
especially not in a in a finals match. Nor are you going to get it from pretty much most of the Panthers players. But I don't think they need to be off their game. I just think a forward pack and their bench rotation have to be at their absolute best mm. for the full 80 minutes against Penrith in order for that to be an option, uh, you know, a, a possibility. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And like, and we're not saying Penrith's unbeatable. Like, no team is unbeatable. That's why rugby league's so amazing. You go yeah. to the 1997 Grand Final. How how are the Knights going to beat Manly? I mean, come on now. Yeah. Um, so no one's unbeatable, but it's just uh, damn Penrith look pretty damn good at this stage. I think it's fair to say. And look, I think North Queensland, everything has lined up really perfectly for them as well. I think that um, I think that they would handle the Raiders really easily. And I think with Parramatta, they would probably have a bit of a problem with that second phase offloading that Parramatta do. But I think that um, I, I just think that North Queensland's getting better and better. And I think that, and I said this in the last podcast, I think with the the driving force of uh, Paul Green's passing, it's it, sometimes something like that can be enough when you've got. Everything is so level pegging when you get to this point of the season that you can just grab onto something. And I think that that might be something that they can, they're motivate, motivated by. And I, I say that looking at that last game they played against the Sharks where I think they were down by eight points with eight minutes left. They come from behind, they stuck in. And, and when it went to golden point, uh, when it went to extra time, you kind of felt like North Queensland, it was theirs to lose at that point. Um, so yeah, I think that it's lining up nice for North Queensland and, and, uh, the Panthers at the moment. The only problem the Cowboys have got, um, and we saw it at the tail end of that Sharks game and in extra time and golden point is when there's an opportunity for them to, um, you know, retain possession, maintain Mm -hmm. some pressure. More often than not, they don't take it. And mm. that an option there um, from memory, going just at the start of extra time, where they, they were in a position where they could have had a crack at field goal or they could have gone for a grubber and tried to get a, a dropout. They were in a really good position for a good kick either way. And they went with some other silly option instead, which just pretty much just handed the ball over. Mm. And they took the pressure right off the Sharks and let them back into the game, you know, even though they're deep in their own half. And when you're tired at the end of that, you know, the tail end of that game in an extra time, it doesn't matter if a team's down the out there far end because making metres against tired defenders is easy to do, even if you're a tired attacker. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but getting a repeat set just has so much more impact at that stage. You're making tired players defend two sets in a row. More often than not, uh, you'll find a way through. And that's... That's just something that doesn't happen all the time, mm. but it seems to be something that happens sometimes when the games are getting close to the Cowboys. They'll go for the win and not get it instead of just build that pressure, keep possession, and deny the opposition a chance of actually getting themselves into the game at all. They, they lack that killer instincts, so to speak. Yeah, and look, they've got a, a good team to build that pressure, up, especially up through the middle. Like In those situations, what I would like to see is Tamalolo going up the middle using his footwork and then off the back of that Luciano Leilua coming in field and doing the same thing. 
you know, and then yeah. you've got Ruben Cotter who just plays at a billion miles an hour come off the back of that. And so they've got a really good team that they can do that. That's why I, may, I feel as though maybe they're a year away from being where they want to be along with the Sharks. Um, but th- look, they're here now. You know, there's an opportunity now to do that. Um, yeah. You said something really interesting there about building pressure. And it's interesting because I remember when I would talk a lot with English rugby league fans on, on the Pommy forums and they didn't really understand the whole thing of building pressure. They would say, well, the Australian teams play boring football. They play the percentages and, and it, it's like, yeah, that's building pressure. Um, of the teams that are left, I think it's fair to say that if the Panthers are a 10 in building pressure, I think the next best team is maybe a seven. Yeah. Where, because the Panthers, and they build their pressure on the defense and just, you know, just running out of your 20 meters all fucking night. Just a horrible team to play against. Um, Whereas I think that the next best team is probably the Sharks in terms of building pressure. Sharks and the Eels will be the next best. Yeah, but Um, I I feel so that the Eels, they need to, it needs to be a, they come in and out of games a little bit with their pressure. So there'll be times where they can hit that 10 level easy, Mm. but there'll be big chunks of the game where they're not near that 10 level as well. You know what I mean? That's right, yeah. Uh, I feel as though the Sharks are more consistent with the pressure they'll put on you. But they, they, are, they can't are. hit that ten level. They they're very good. They've become very good and very patient in the halves. I'll say mm. at knowing, you know, the probability of whether they're going to score or not um, before the play happens. And if they see that it's not going to happen, try and get the drop out. Mm-hmm. It's a really smart strategy to have. It's worked reasonably well. They haven't stuck with it too consistently all season, but. I've seen them do it bits and pieces in the last few weeks, and it's it's a good strategy to have. Like your dropout should be your plan B at all times. Don't just try and put all your eggs in the left. We must score a try basket. Yeah, because that won't work all the time. But um, Parramatta does have decent short kicking game. Gutherson, Brown, Moses, and even Mahoney himself. Yeah, I've got good short kicking games. Um. So that does help when they're close to the line and building that bit of pressure. Um, the Sharks' kicking game is is pretty similar. The difference being they've also got Wade Graham a bit mm-hmm. wider of the ruck, who can <laughs> also put in unbelievably good short kicks. Yeah. Um, that's just a little twist on the uh, the pressure thing. That I don't know. I'm not saying he's playing. He's definitely not playing his best football. Not even close to it. But. He's just doing – he's playing within himself mm-hmm. and still doing – he's still that thread out the air on the edge that no other team has something that does what Wade Graham does. Mm-hmm. He's just a unique body out there that can – he's just got a different skill set to everybody else. And that comes from playing 5-8 so long at, at Penrith before he came across. So he's still yeah. got a lot of those ball-playing and short-kicking game skills. Uh, that's um, one of the things I like about Nico Hines is that – He's a player who was who was playing fullback last year, and they got him as a halfback. And it, well, you and me we were both like, "Man, is this shit going to work?" Yeah. <laughs> so like, and he had it, it's like he shows patience when he needs to be patient. He allows his team to work. It, he allows his teammates to do their job 
when it's time for them to do their job. He'll take a back seat. Then when it's time, he can also come through and do something crazy good. And the thing that gets me about him, and he might be the best halfback in the entire game at this at the moment, his timing to know when to do those different things and to augment his game. And he's shown his game is so varied beyond anything I would have expected. That to me is just, I watch him play and I'm like, this young bloke gets what a halfback is supposed to do beyond his years, beyond even what Cleary does. Like Cleary's getting better and better at it. I think Nick, Nico Hines has a much more refined sense of that. It's crazy. And the Melbourne Storm must be watching him thinking, oh, if we knew he had this, we would have never, ever let him leave. He's got a very, very calm head on him. Mm. Like, he never seems phased or stressed or pressured. Um, Tell you what, though, the the improvement in patience of Matt Moylan and Blake Braley around him has helped so much because Moylan would more often than not rush up too fast. He'd try and do a quick play option, do something whatever, freakish. The plays will only work like 5% of the time at best. Um, he's been staying back and willing to have a, a you know, just sample what the defense will do, sound them out, see what they're going to do, and then go back and try something different the next time he goes around instead of just trying to smash the same play over and over again until it works mm-hmm. and it doesn't. He's just getting smarter at what he does. He's getting more patient. Bradley would be too much of a bull at the gate in attack and just, take to the line straight away or try and put a, a short ball play and a crash ball close to the line and not really think about whether the probability of it working or not was going to be, you know, going to be good. Mm-hmm. Now he's getting much better at finding, you know, when he can isolate a defender one-on-one mm-hmm. to run that crash ball play, or if he sees a lazy defender or an opportunity at dummy half close to the line, when to take, you know, take the scoot from dummy half, that sort of thing. They're little things, the patient things, but, geez, they've sharpened up their attack an awful lot. And it just takes a lot of that stress off Hines to do a lot more work. And Hines is just playing his natural game where he just drifts around, does what he needs to, but he's still able to tell everyone where they've got to be and what they've got to do. Mm. Um, yeah, That's the thing about Hines. It's, <clears throat> you watch him play, and a lot of young halfbacks, they are awkward early on in their careers because they're, they're still learning how to do those things. With Hines... It just comes naturally to him. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, just amazing to watch. I mean, I, unlike you, I, I didn't think the Sharks team would be doing as well as they are mm. in this season. I thought, you know, this is this season would be the one where they go, right, let's try and finish eighth, ninth, somewhere around there. If we can get yeah. the finals, that would be great. And then next year we go for a top six spot. year after that, top four, so on and so forth. You know, because you've changed your, your spine a fair whack and you've changed a lot of other players and other things around there. You need all those combinations to start gelling properly. And so it's going to take time. And I mm-hmm. thought that's what they'd be looking at. And finish the season in second. You're like, fucking hell, he's <laughs> just skipped a year. Yeah, and, and the other thing is too, like you're kind of going to this season and you're like, okay, they, they've got a young fullback that they've paid a decent amount of money to um, and they're playing him at halfback. Well, this is an experiment, and it's. It, and we've seen those experiments at halfback 
how many times have they ever worked? Like I can't off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody that has been maybe the best example is Hughes at Melbourne and he's more of a percentages sort of player. Um, you know, I, I just cannot believe, like if somebody said to me that Nico Hines in three years time will be the best halfback in rugby league, I wouldn't doubt it. Just no. based, just based on how naturally is it everything he does. Um, I think that the the one area that he if he added that bossing his team around element to his game, uh, and I think he'll do that. It, what what's he missing? <laughs> you know, it, it that's I just cannot believe it, and I love watching him play because of it because this is just a dude that is comfortable in the hardest role in rugby league. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, it staggers me. I thought that they'd have to try and find a way to get him to be a 5'8 or something like that so he could still do his fullback running game stuff that he had. That's what I thought they'd do with him. Um, I, I bet mean, if you, if somebody had just said to you and me at the start of the year, what's more likely, that he will just be okay as a halfback, that he'll move to 5'8 really early on, or that he will end up at fullback, I think you and me would have said, man, he's going to be a fullback by around six. <laughs> Yeah, like the, the whole thing we were worried about, I guess, was Kennedy's definitely an, an elite NRL quality fullback. 100%. So you can't you can't move him out. So you're going to figure out how to fit two top line fullbacks into the side. So that's why I thought um, they put him at five eighth. Mm. That was my thinking all along. He'll just be a five eighth. He can still mm. do all his ball runs. It's kind of like Munster. You know, Munster was a, a very good fullback for a few years, mm-hmm. uh, fitting in when Slater was injured. Um. A very, very good ball runner and still a good organiser. So I thought yeah, he'd be the same sort of thing. Mm. That's my, where my thinking was at. No, I mean, he's, uh, he understands what a halfback has to do so damn well. It's crazy. So crazy. crazy. It just shows you that, like, the the halfback role, it's an art. It's not a science. And that's where when people talk about, like, we should have specialised halfback academies and stuff. It's like there's over the course of rugby league history, especially modern history, where a modern day halfback has a, you know, he's got a different role than he had in the 70s and 60s and that. Um, you can write down a list of and give it to every young halfback and say, this is what you've got to do. But it's the ones that don't need the list that just do it. They're the really good ones. And I think that it's that's one thing about Nathan Cleary is that I feel as though. Um, he's been around football, you know, his entire life. His whole family's footballers right through it. Even at times, he seems like he's having to learn the next thing on the list. And that is possibly the thing that will stop him from being in the echelon of, say, an Andrew Johns or an yeah. Alan Langer, where they didn't need a list, you know. Um, Nico Hines doesn't need the list. No. And whether he ends up being as good as Cleary, better than Cleary, well, that's why we play the games. We'll find out. But, damn, that's where you want to start with a halfback. Hell, yeah. Ah, it's amazing to watch. I love them parts of rugby league. Yeah, no, he's he's been phenomenal. If you, had, right, to pick, well, if you had to pick a favourite for the, for the title right now, who is it? Penrith. Who's second favourite? Hmm. Probably Cronulla. Okay. And my second favourite's Cowboys. 
Is that Annika's? I really enjoy watching the Sharks play at the moment. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I I, I feel as though it's lining up for the Panthers and Cowboys. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll Indeed, be horrified. We will. I'll be horrified if we lose next week. Man, I'll be so upset. <laughs> I think everyone will be. That'd be an absolute shock. It would be a shock. Yeah. Um. Okay, Andrew. Uh, if people were going to contact you, said you're mostly complaints, I'm sure, on social media, where would they find you? Uh, complaints? Yep. Um, yeah, just go send an email to leaguefreak at... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, look, you, you can find Rugby League Project on Twitter at Rugby League Proj. That's P-R-O-J. Um, we're also on Facebook. That's pretty much it for Rugby League Project. We don't use it a great deal. We've got a Patreon as well. Um, so you can go over there and make a donation of whatever you like um, because very soon we'll be starting our work on our third rugby league annual, and it's going to be the biggest one we've ever done. Nice. Um, and that covers the game in England and Australia as well as internationally and the women's game as well, like no annual has ever done before, and it will be free for everybody. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And the best way to support that is to go to – uh, the Rugby League Project Patreon because, yep. you know, that the work that goes into that annual, you do so well with that annual and uh, that's the way to support it. Um, also, Andrew RLP on Twitter, personal. Yeah, that's that's that where you, That's where you put out all of your hot political takes. thoughts. Your, well, hot uh, takes. Hot t- I hate the word. <laughs> no, you do. I fucking hate it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's where I've put out my uh, my slander of the mainstream media, most likely. <laughs> um, occasional random stats. I'm going to put up a chart um, very soon, later on today. Mm-hmm. It's basically going to be merging Balmain, Western Suburbs, and the West Tigers stats all together so you can get what the West Tigers were doing since 1908. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but I'll be doing all that sort of stuff. There'll be occasional stats and stuff like that on there. Um, so, yeah, you can check that out. And uh, while you're there, you might as well go over to at League Freak on Twitter as well and, and give him a follow where you can get all sorts of stuff like um, pictures of his toys wearing G-strings and stuff like that. Fuck you. Stuff. They're not G-strings. They're uh, Y-fronts. Y what a... They're not Y-fronts. It is a Jockstrap. a piece of groin armor for a Mandalorian, damn it. If you had armor and you could put it anywhere, what's the first thing you'd put armor over? Your dick, all right? Uh, I, I don't know. I just wouldn't be dressed up like a Barbie doll to start with. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> they are highly collectible six-scale figures, damn it. Right. Um... So also while you're there, you can go over to uh, Instagram and follow League Freak over there and check out all of his Barbie dolls on there. Bastard. He loves it when you give comments on it too. Yeah, I've seen your comments. <laughs> Call my Mandalorian's ATM machines. How dare you? Oh, yeah. I-, I wanted to call one a vacuum cleaner, but it didn't look like it sucked enough. <laughs> oh, shit. You can't. Oh, that came out sounding far more harsher than I actually thought it would be. <laughs> nah, it's all right. I get it. I get it. No, you're just trashing something I enjoy. I get it, Andrew. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just things you love. Yeah. 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 It's just it's just things that I've enjoyed doing over the course of the last few years, 
It's, you know, why not just fucking trash it? It's just dreams and, you know, life. <laughs> just just crush it. <laughs> oh, shit. I'll apologise one day. We don't apologise on this podcast. <laughs> um, Maybe one day. One day. What, what could we? What's something we could apologise that we've said on this podcast? Oh, probably something about whales. Nah, I stand by everything. <laughs> I stand by fucking everything. <laughs> oh shit! I think uh, we need to have an episode where, um, for a brief period, I just try and find the most complicated Welsh towns town names and get you to pronounce them. <laughs> Listen. Okay, when when you're attached to England, like you're basically a, an outer suburb of England, and you have this incomprehensible language that no one understands, like somebody puts it on the screen and they're like, is that fucking Tolkien? Is that Elvish? You know, I'm sorry, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. At least the Scots speak English, you know what I mean? You know what's great about the Scottish? Right. The, the drunker they get the harder they are to understand. <laughs> but the more hilarious they think it sounds. Yes. Oh, fuck, I love the Scottish, man. Yeah. I love their style. The, the Irish are fairly similar as well in that sense. I love Irish people. Yeah. yeah. Irish people are great. Yeah. They're um, going to work, man. Yeah. I love their work. Yeah. they. You know what? They did good. They did real good. I want to I want to see nothing more in any World Cup of any nature, of any sport. I don't care what one it is. Ireland and or Scotland beating England. It's just great to see. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine if the Scottish team beat Ireland in the World Cup? That'd be fucking incredible. I'd want either of them beating England. I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'll go but, home happy if England loses to any other European nation. Yeah, because I mean they're going to lose to the Southern Hemisphere ones. We know that. Yeah, Warmsley's out. By the way, Warmsley's out for St Helens uh, for the rest of their year in the World Cup. Yes, yeah, well. so, I mean they're going to have to find some. I suppose a, a slightly bigger centre, I guess, to play a prop. <laughs> they, you know, he would be. It would be him and, and Thomas Burgess uh, as their two best props. I would oh, say. And then, yeah, I'll say this again. All honesty, Wormsley is a very, very good prop. So him being out hurts them so damn much. Yeah, because they haven't got depth at all up front. No, um, not like what, they used to. Obviously, Whitehead is very good. We're both big fans of Whitehead. Yeah. Um, but can you imagine, like, like you think of their forward pack going in against the likes of Tonga and Samoa, Fiji, like all of them, Fiji, like which Southern Hemisphere nation has a poor forward rotation, you know? Yeah. They, they could get fucked up. And I'm going to fucking enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's probably only about 100 finals games left in Super League to go before the World Cup starts. Did you see the thing I, I when the Queen passed away and they were talking about the, there's going to be 10 days of mourning and does that mean sport doesn't go ahead? And then it was like, well, how will that work for Super League? Because they would have to condense everything into about two and a half weeks, you know? But they just went ahead with games anyway. Um, which I, I, heard they were, I heard they were cancelling games this weekend, but not next weekend. I didn't hear that. Um, there's a, the only reason why I saw that was I found it odd because there was an English team that had to go over to France for a finals game, mm-hmm. I think it was, and that game was allowed to go ahead. 
but all the games in England weren't. And I went, what? So as soon as an English team goes overseas, they're not English anymore. Yeah, would you only just... morning in England, whether irrespective of your nationality. It was a weird system they've got going on there. Although I can see where it's like a, you know, we don't say, for instance, we don't open shops on that day, we, and so we don't open stadiums on that day. But then, if you're Super League, and look, Super League has a time crunch in terms of they already had a time crunch, but they've got a time crunch in terms of getting through this season, and then they start the World Cup just a few weeks later. Would they? be in a situation where they're, they're like, look, we have to play these games. Let's play them over in France. I don't know. They're, if anything, they should probably realise now, and I know this is a, a freak occurrence, okay, you know, a monarch passing, mm. um, it's not that common, and especially not, not that common in the last 100 years. Mm. You can't really put a plan in place for that, but it's it shows you more than anything that if you can't accommodate one, maybe two weeks where you can't play, that you're playing too many fucking games of football. <laughs> if we've just gone with a 22-week season, and that's easy to do. Bam, you've just freed up five, six weeks of footy. Yeah. But it's a month and a half. Say in, <clears throat> say in Australia, we had to miss two weeks of footy starting right now. I just drop it on you. Can't play for two weeks. I think that the NRL had just push it back, they would say, look, if we've got to play, the, we've got to start the World Cup for our players, and I say our players, I mean all of the international players we have here, we, we're going to just have to fly over in five days and play straight away. That's the price we've got to pay. I think that they would do that in a second. Well, they just have five-day turnarounds. So you'd just be playing three games in, in two weeks. Yeah. You go and Friday it, to Wednesday to what, Sunday, something like that. It'd be difficult, but you could do it. Yeah. The teams are, I mean, the players are all conditioned to have five day turnarounds occasionally through the season. So it wouldn't be too long a stretch. Mm. Um, wouldn't be ideal, but you'd, you'd have the wiggle room to do that. But <coughs> Super League's just too many games. <coughs> Fucking hell. Throw all right, let's jump off before you die. Well, it's only mild death. Uh, you had a good run. Had a good run. I'll be back next week. <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning in everyone make sure you uh, check out our sponsors Palmerbet on their website palmerbet.com um, thank you Palmerbet for sponsoring us again this year um, and uh, always remember gamble responsibly you can check us out on the socials on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube so check us out on all of those as well and we'll catch you all next time Palmerbet with the big don't argue punters will love that Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858.